Hola, hello, welcome to my podcast, My Mexican Mistakes. This is, I believe, the 11th chapter or episode. And I, for those of you who've been listening for a while, you know that I moved to Mexico City from Chicago. And as soon as I got here, I started making lots of mistakes. Um, But like every great story, there'd be a happy ending at the end of that day, and then I would wake up to live another day and also make another mistake, um, and then hopefully fix that. But I decided, based upon a field trip to the National Museum of Anthropology here, known in Spanish as the Museo Nacional de Antropología, um, I decided, based on a trip I took there with a tour guide uh, who really laid it all out, Uh, She was awesome. Um, I decided to do my podcast this week about the mistakes of others. And uh, you'll learn by the end of this what those mistakes are and what the mistakes that could have changed the course of history. My mistakes involve usually seriously over-tipping and getting lost like three or four times a day. I do nothing here that changes the course of history, but... Some of these civilizations did, and you'll see how that worked in a minute, or a few minutes. Um, The tour guide was wonderful, and I would recommend, first of all, I would recommend, A, coming to Mexico City, because there is more to see here than you can imagine. B, when you come here, you've got to go to the Museo Nacional de Antropología, the National Museum of Anthropology, because... It is a fascinating and wonderfully laid out museum where you really see how these ancient civilizations lived and died. Um, But it sounds like it might be boring, right? The National Museum of Anthropology. I think they should give it a different name, a jazzier name, a name like more show business because there's so much at this museum that feels like almost, um, it's not just learning, it's you're learning by being entertained um, about the lives that these people led. And I, you know, when we look at history, it always seems like people like, you know, back then, whenever back then is, whatever period you want to talk about, they seem like they're portrayed as kind of formal and stiff and they're totally serious. But, you know, everybody is modern in their own time. And I can't take credit for that. That's from Sofia Coppola, great, great director, terrible actress, but great director. And she made the movie Marie Antoinette. And, uh, you know, about Marie Antoinette and Louis XIV and uh, the Palace of Versailles and all of that and the French Revolution. But the soundtrack is, like, full of the strokes and New Order joy division and you're like well i know marie antoinette wasn't living wasn't listening to um new order uh you know when she was you know hanging out and buying hats um so what gives but sophia coppola said that everybody is modern in their own time and marie antoinette at the end of the day was a teenager and she would have totally been listening to the strokes and new order if they existed So that was why Sofia Coppola put that music on the soundtrack. And I think that 
it brings them so much more alive when you paint people in history, when you show them being modern for their time. Because it's not like, you know, the Aztecs were roaming around like we're Aztecs and we'll all be killed one day, but, you know, we're, we behave just like you'd expect us to behave if you saw like a bad movie from the 50s about the Aztecs. No, they were modern. They were hip. Everybody is hip in their own time. So when you have that perspective and then you see the way these various civilizations lived, it, they become alive. Um, because they're not just, you know, cutouts from hundreds of years ago. They were real people. Um, so it's this, this Museum of Anthropology sort of subscribes to that code, even if that's not what they're saying, um, you know, like even if they're not walking around saying, oh, the Aztecs would have totally listened to New Order. Um, but the, the museum does really appreciate that, these were real people, living, breathing human beings who were no different from us, who were modern in their time. So having said that, the tour guide took us to three of the big exhibition halls. I'll call them the big three because they're the three big tribes or civilizations in chronological order um, that existed up until the time of uh, the Spanish invasion of Mexico in 1521. So um, they kind of lived in their own time, but they do overlap each other too. So the first group that, or the first exhibition hall we went to was for the civilization known as the Teotihuacan. Um, and I guarantee you, it took me a long time to practice the pronunciation of Teotihuacan, and also it's not spelled anything like that. So uh, it's really, it takes a lot of work to learn these words, I just want you to know. Um, the Teotihuacan lived from 150 BC till about 750, give or take, you know, a few years. Um, they were, they, uh, they lived in what, in the ancient, in an ancient city which is where the pyramids are now in Mexico City. When everybody says, oh, you've got to go to the pyramids, pyramid of the sun, period, pyramid of the moon. I'm not saying you don't have to go. I'll be honest, I haven't been there yet because it involves waking up really early and doing a lot of climbing in the hot sun. And none of those three things are particularly appealing to me, but I promise I will get there. Um, but that city was built and inhabited by the Teotihuacan. And the, it was a huge city, by the way, about like 150,000 people lived there. Um, and so one of the, it's a very complicated city. Um, they have big streets. Um, and one of those streets was called the Avenue of the Dead. Now, I could give that name to a lot of streets that I know, um, particularly here, because some of those streets, like Revolucion or Insurgentes, people are driving like it's the Indy 500. They may or may not stop at the red light. Pretty much they do. But if you're crossing uh, outside of the red light, um, I, you know, I wouldn't look for anybody to stop. So you're taking your life into your own hands if you're not crossing in a crosswalk. And I would totally rename any street I have had to cross like that the Avenue of the Dead. Um, also, 
I don't think anybody really wanted, wants the address of the Avenue of the Dead. Like, oh, where do you live? Oh, I live at 321 Avenue of the Dead. But they called their street the Avenue of the Dead. But that's because they, have a, they had a completely different view of death than we have. First, I want to talk about the guy running the show. So you, if you picture um, this society like a pyramid, um, and at the very top is like the biggest boss who kept everybody in line by claiming to have like supernatural powers, almost as if like bewitched was the president of the United States and or, or genie from I Dream of Genie, and all they had to do was wiggle their nose or nod and blink and, you know, they could get anything they wanted. So, of course, anybody would listen to anything Bewitched or Genie had to say if they were running the show because you could be turned into a frog if you don't. Um, and if, uh, you know, if she didn't want to be the heavy uh, Bewitched, she could have her mom and Dora take care of business like the sergeant at arms. And so if you believe that you're living under a ruler who has these mystical powers, of course, you would totally behave. And so for the most part, everybody behaved in Tio Tihuacan. Um, and they helped each other and, uh, you know, because nobody wanted to be in trouble with the boss because they believed the boss had magical powers. Now, their view of life and death was very, very different from ours. Like, they view death as, oh, you're just walking out of one room into another room. Like you're gone, but you're still around somewhere. And so they didn't really think death was such a bad deal. Um, and the warriors, if they had to fight with somebody, you know, to die in battle, that meant you were going to, you know, have a great next life. And it wasn't, I don't think they articu articulated it like reincarnation, I just think you went through one door when you died and you could still be around, but to die with honor, like there was nothing better. So um, now, so the Avenue of the Dead wouldn't be such a bad thing. It might've been kind of cool. Like, hey, I live on Avenue of the Dead. Um, you know, like I live on, you know, in Lincoln Park or whatever. Anyway, so because of their view of death was the complete opposite of ours or very different from ours, um, they were also big believers in sacrifice. But sacrifice to them was a very good thing. Um, now, one thing that Teotihuacan did always was they were always honoring the gods by giving them sacrifices. Um, but that could be like just a little bit of blood. Like they cut themselves and then their blood would be in this sort of basin um, but they would intentionally cut themselves and then, you know, leave a little bit of blood in this, like it would look like a bird bath almost. Um, and then they'd set it on fire to make sure that gods knew like, hey, I'm burning the blood, you know, that I, uh, I bled for you today, whatever god they were talking to, because there were like 200 different gods. Um, and, you know, I, they, I, I would just like to say one thing about the gods and sacrifice. I am not quite sure where anybody got the idea, like, oh, like the gods love it when we sacrifice ourselves and kill ourselves. No, maybe not. I mean, we have no way of knowing, but, um, you know, maybe the gods were like, hey, what about a nice piece of cake um, instead of all this blood and gore? Uh, you know, the gods might have been looking for something else 
besides blood and human sacrifice. But the Teotihuacans, like other civilizations before and civilizations after, believed like it was the ultimate, like, you know, to sacrifice yourself to God, to one of the gods. And so uh, they were like always, you know, every day you had to like let a little bit of blood into the basin. And, uh, and then if things were not going so well, you had to do a much bigger sacrifice. But this sacrifice is like one of the greatest sacrifices, if not the greatest sacrifice I ever heard of. Because the sacri... Okay, so as smart and as technologically advanced as the Teotihuacan were, of course they were at the mercy of weather, like you know we all are. And uh, if there was a drought, they couldn't grow the crops. And, you know, you need water for crops. And that's about as much as I know about farming. But, you know, you need it. Now, I don't know how there could have been a drought ever for the Teotihuacans because I've been in Mexico City for two months, and it pretty much rains every day at 5 o'clock, no matter what. It could be sunny and beautiful at noon, but it's going to rain at 5. Um, maybe a little early, earlier than that, maybe a little later, and it doesn't go on forever most nights, but it does rain every day. So, which is like why it's so beautiful. It's so lush and green here. Um, so I'm not quite sure why the Teotihuacans ever experienced a drought. Um, but, you know, weather changes, as we know. And so maybe back then it didn't rain in Mexico City every day. Plus, where the Teotihuacans uh, had their big city of 125,000 people is about 20 miles northeast of Mexico City. So maybe that makes a difference too. I don't know. All I know is when there was a drought, the Tuat, I'll never get it right, the Teotihuacans really kicked ass when there was a drought to please the gods and get the gods back on their side with a major sacrifice, except the sacrifice was so odd um, that I really wish we would do it now just to see what it's like. So the Teotihuacans, sorry, um, they played ball. Like, you know, in Chicago, we have 16-inch softball. In the rest of the country, there's 12-inch softball. There's hardball, but the fastball. There's all kinds of balls. But the ball that the Teotihuacans played with I saw it. I mean, I saw one of them. Because that's the thing is when you're in this museum, yes, there are a few repl replicas, but for the most part, you're looking at, you know, the real thing. And so they have a ball um, that was recovered in a dig. And, I mean, there's millions of artifacts uh, in this country. But anyway, this ball game, I'm not sure. I think the goal was to hit each other, kind of like Teotihuacan dodgeball. But if you got hit with this ball, it would be extremely painful because it was bigger than a 16-inch softball and super heavy. I don't know what it was made out of, but believe me, it was not made out of anything we would ever think that would go into a ball. And so you'd have two teams battling it out in some kind of a ball game. But, and this is the part that's just killer, the team that won was the team that was sacrificed uh, because it was so awesome to be sacrificed to the gods to get things back on track. Like, it was 
you know, they loved it. And it was like, pick, you know, it gives put me in coach a completely different meaning, right? Pick me, pick me. Um, I want to win. And then I want to be sacrificed to the gods. Like they welcomed it. So, uh, and in, I think, Michoacan, uh, Mexico, where this game was also played, the ball was somehow made of fire. So it was like fireball. Like you heard a money ball. This is fun fireball. Literally, they would throw these balls of fire at the players. Um, I know that, you know, today's unions would never allow it. But I just wish just once we could see like a really good fireball game. And then the winner uh, of the game gets sacrificed. And we don't have to kill them. Just make them go to the bars in Wrigleyville after a Cubs game. Um, because I really don't have anything against the players even. I just would like to see some of the fans sacrificed. And I love the Cubs, don't get me wrong. But the fans are super annoying. And so maybe if like the Cubs win, then you just go to one of the bars in Wrigleyville and grab a bunch of bros um, from the bars and some of those girls too and sacrifice them. But that's another story. Um, so... As we went through the tour of the Teotihuacan civilization at the museum, and I learned more about them, I realized this civilization had more in common with Chicago than they did with any other civilization roaming around Mexico at this time. Number one, their city was always under construction, constantly. I mean, they had the same joke we have about construction. Uh, you know, there's two seasons, winter and construction. Um, they didn't really have winter, but, you know, if they had some bad weather, I guess it would put a halt to the construction. And they got things done. And they got things done without, A, um, any slide rulers or computers. B, no moving equipment. You know how, like, if you're driving uh, in Chicago and you see all those trucks, Palumbo, we move the earth. And so when they're building something, these Palumbo trucks come and, like, tear up the ground or whatever. And they didn't have anything like that. They had to do everything by hand, I would like to point out. And, again, you know, it's like the mystery. Like, how did they build these pyramids? Forget about the pyramids. They actually built high-rises for people to live in because the city was so congested. So... They were always under construction. And then another way, another way they're like Chicago is this. So again, if you picture the society like a pyramid and at the very, 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 very top is the biggest ruler, but he can't be everywhere. He has a big city to run. So he has essentially his deputies or we could say aldermen and they were controlling their own little parts of the city. And if you needed like a new garbage can or whatever, you had to go to one of those like lesser chiefs. But then the best is the chief thought, I'm going to hire all my relatives and put them in the roles of uh, like, you know, my second and third and fourth in command. So they kind of invented patronage. And I don't think they get enough credit for it. And another way that they are like Chicago... And I don't know this for certain, but I'm convinced that if they were building high-rises and busy building streets uh, and building like places to put the dead, um, because uh, for a long time, you just had to bury your dead under your own house. 
um, and at a certain point, that just became a little unworkable um, because you were always cracking your floor. I mean, how many times can a kitchen floor or a living room floor be broken, stick another body, and then, you know, cover it all up? So, uh, you know, there was a point they had to build other places to put the dead. <coughs> but given that they had all this activity in their city, I'm quite convinced they had a zoning commission um, because you can't just put the dead anywhere. And uh, they probably had like property taxes and then the assessor's office, the, their equivalent of the assessor's office, because this was a busy city. This was a city on the make. This was a city on the move until at some point the civilization kind of faded away. Um, but while they were kind of descending the Teotihuacans, another group was ascending, and that would be the Mayans. Now, you probably have heard of the Mayans, and I only say that because even I heard of the Mayans. Um, but whatever your idea of the Mayans is, and this was, again, this was like the second exhibition hall we went into. Whatever your idea of the Mayans is, get rid of it because I'm going to blow your mind when I tell you about the Mayans. Now, when we started the tour, uh, specifically of the Mayans, the tour guide said, the Mayans are my favorite civilization. And I thought, well, you know, if you're an anthropologist, you have favorite civilizations. But I got to tell you something. I am not an anthropologist, clearly, as this podcast has demonstrated. But I love the Mayans. Because basically, the Mayans were like a smarter version of the Kardashians. Um, and there were a lot more of them. I'm glad there's not that many Kardashians. But the Mayans were totally into two things. Physical beauty and keeping up with the Joneses. And whatever the Mayan equivalent of the name Jones would be. Everybody was watching everybody else to see what they were doing, and then they wanted to do it too. So it was like the upper classes set the rules of fashion, and then it would trickle down eventually to the middle classes and lower classes and the slave classes. Everybody always wanted to do whatever the big bosses were doing. So it's like, you know that scene in The Devil Wears Prada where um, Anne Hathaway makes fun of the debate about the blue sweaters and they all look alike. And then Meryl Streep explains, gives her this long lecture about who the first person was to use this particular blue, what designer used it for his collection and blah, blah, blah. And then she says to Anne Hathaway, and eventually that cerulean blue, that cerulean blue made it down to you in that pathetic sweater you bought out of some bargain basement. Um, and I'm kind of paraphrasing the scene, but you know what I'm talking about. So the chiefs, you know, had these standards of beauty and that the middle class and lower class couldn't recreate completely, but it would kind of trickle down to them to their version of the sort of bargain basement beauty based upon what the uh, rulers and upper classes were doing. So they were... This, this, I mean, if there was a Mayan, I wouldn't be surprised if archaeologists, I should say, one day find amongst the ruins like Mayan Vogue and Mayan Bazaar. 
because they were totally into standards of beauty and fashion. Um, and like I said, do, copying off of others. Like the Mayans were the kings of the knockoff. But the thing is this, their standards of beauty were very different from our standards of beauty. Um, and I'm not saying one is better or worse, um, but I will say that one sure was a lot more painful, and I'm not talking about wearing spanks all day. Um, no, the Mayans were the original creators, if you ask me, of the expression, no pain, no gain, and I'm quite certain that most personal trainers are descended from Mayans because there was nothing too painful to go through if you were a Mayan and wanted to look like the height of fashion. The first thing that the Mayans did, um, or the first beauty um, tradition the Mayans followed, was they liked to have heads that were flat and misshapen, like super flat, and then like almost like a car ran over a forehead, but also broke your nose, and then nobody fixed it because they had these flat foreheads and then gigantic noses with no bridge, like the nose was coming right out of the middle of their forehead almost. Um, and this was not a look people were born with. Yes, some people have high foreheads. Yes, some people have big noses. But not that, that wouldn't be enough for a Mayan to be like in fashion. They had to have a completely misshapen forehead and then a nose growing out of the middle of it. So I, I guess that they broke, you would just have to break somebody's nose a couple times and then just don't, you know, fix it as it's trying to heal. Um, so they look like a boxer who was in too many prize fights. The misshapen head is not so easy to achieve. Um, and what, what would happen is this, and I swear to God, every word of this is true. When a child was born, so you know how when kids are born, their skulls are kind of soft and people always tell you, oh, watch out for the soft spot. Oh, hold their head, blah, 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 because their heads are so soft. Well, their heads are soft. Um, the bones are soft. The bones are still growing because, you know, they're going to get bigger. So the bones are soft to accommodate, I guess, the fact that the kid's going to get bigger. I don't know. I was not good in biology. But what the Mayans would do is they would take that baby and for the first couple of years of its life, put the baby's head in a vise and turn the vise ever so slightly so as to not kill the child, but yet to create a flat head. Um, and I swear to God, every word of that is true. So while the bones were still soft, they would change the shape of the child's head using a vise and also break the nose a couple of times. Then I guess that look is perhaps was getting to be so common because, you know, the upper classes did not like see did not like seeing the lower classes with like misshapen heads and gigantic noses because that was their look. So then they had to find a new look for themselves so everybody would know they were from the upper classes. And that new look was like this. Now, the Mayans loved jade. From what I gather, the gold wasn't so great at that time. It was kind of thin and nothing special, really. Um, but and, and I don't think uh, they had discovered the silver yet. But jade, 
was extremely popular. So if you were rich, you not only had jade jewelry, um, jade necklaces, jade, jade earrings to make your earlobes huge, because that was also a very popular look, like, you know, 50-pound stones in each earlobe to make them bigger and longer. Um, everybody knew you were loaded if you had gigantic jade earrings, jade belts, jade, um, you know, on their head uh, with a headdress attached to it, jade everywhere, even including, I should say, if you were super rich or a big leader, when you died, they made a jade mask of your face. And we saw one from one of these Mayan rulers, because when you're in the museum, you can go into the underground, uh, which is where this old uh, ancient tomb is of this leader called Pelek. Um, and uh, his jade mask is very, very um, highly coveted. But, you know, the underground to the Mayans was just like, you know, going to Woodfield maybe right before Thanksgiving. You know, super uncomfortable, but, you know, you'll survive. And so uh, in the underworld, you can see evidence of the jade mask that this one ruler wore. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about him later. But in any event, so the Mayans were like, where else can we put jade? We can't look like, we can't look like everybody else. Like, you know, the lower classes, like, gosh, everybody has a misshapen head and, you know, a gigantic nose now. So what should we do? Where can we put jade that we haven't thought of before? And some, I don't know, some person intent on torturing others, apparently, came up with the idea of, hey, I know, let's put jade in our teeth. They'll never be able to do that. And so all the upper classes got jade drilled into their teeth. Now, I'm not sure, you know, there was not really technically a dental school, but clearly some people must have been more skilled at this than others um, because they actually drilled into people's teeth, drilled down, um, and then inserted some jade uh, into those holes. And I don't know what kind of glue they used to keep the jade in, but my guess is it's the same glue that they used to lay the mosaic tiles at the Vatican. And I say that because at the Vatican, you will walk on tiles that are like 600 years old or something. And those tiles are still in place. And it's not like, oh, the tiles are coming off because the grout got wet. So I always wanted to know at the Vatican, what kind of grout did they use? Because, uh, you know, when I lived uh, in Chicago, it was like you had to reinstall the bathroom tile every six months. So clearly they had like some secret glue that was much better than we have. Same thing with the Mayans. You know, they put this jade in the teeth and, uh, you know, next thing you know, People are walking around with grills made of jade. Um, and so the people who have, you know, diamonds in their grills now should know they didn't invent anything they can thank the Mayans. But the thing with the Mayans was this. You know how much it had to hurt to drill holes in teeth and put jade there. And you know that Vicodin had not yet been invented. There was no opioid crisis in the Mayan civilization at this time. But clearly, they were getting some kind of painkillers because there's no way, no way you can withstand having your teeth drilled 
and having jade installed in your teeth without it being so painful that it could almost kill you. Oh, and another thing they like to do with their teeth, because another thing they thought was an exceptional standard of beauty, was to have the two front teeth longer than the rest of your teeth. Longer by a lot. Not just the way front teeth are a little bigger than the rest of the teeth. These, like, is it a beaver that has, like, two big, huge front teeth? Like, if you were a Mayan, you had two, and you wanted to look good, you had two huge front teeth. The way to achieve that is to file down all the rest of your teeth. Again, I know the Mayans invented the idea of no pain, no gain, but they had to be taking something to get them through a trip to the Mayan dentist. Well, pretty soon, the middle classes and the lower classes had their own versions of jade in their teeth. And the rich people and the leaders were like, son of a bitch, why do they have to keep copying our look? So they came up with another look to show everybody, hey, look, I'm super rich and I'm a god, um, or related to the gods. Um, and that is to be cross-eyed. And if you think I'm making this up to be funny, I am not. Gigantic front teeth, jade in the teeth, big gigantic nose, flat forehead, and now cross-eyed. I mean, you know, so if you were a Mayan woman and had all of those qualities, you were basically like the Cindy Crawford of, you know, the Mayan village. Um, and it... it Again, you know, people, some people are unfortunately born, you know, with cross, you know, cross-eyed. Um, but you don't really see people even walking around like that now because it's corrected at birth. And I think it's, you know, a pretty routine correction um, because, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to be cross-eyed. Forget about how it looks. You can't, I mean, how do you get anything done? You have to either have corrective lenses or you know, a doctor has actually fixed um, one of your eyes. Um, but no, 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 the Mayans wanted to be cross-eyed. So the way they achieved cross-eyedness was, take. let's go back to that baby whose head is in the vise, um, and uh, let's do one more thing to that poor baby. And let's tie some heavy beads to whatever little hair that child has and let, dangle those beads right in front of, or not so much in front, but on the forehead of uh, the child so that the child will always be looking at those beads. And of course, that expression of looking at those beads is you're crossing your eyes. Um, and eventually the child would keep its eyes crossed for so long looking at the beads strung to its hair while its head was in the vise and somebody either had or was about to break the child's nose um, and, uh, and turn the child cross-eyed. And that look, not only did that look trickle down to the middle classes um, and uh, the lower classes, but it actually, and I don't know how this worked, but it sort of changed the genetics of the Mayans whereas more children were being born cross-eyed, 
which is weird because it was a cosmetic procedure, but I guess at that time nature favored cross-eyed because, you know, even if you didn't have any dough, you could look like you were rich um, and quite a catch if you were cross-eyed with two gigantic front teeth, a flat forehead, and a gigantic nose. Um, you know, you'd pretty much have uh, the pick of the litter. So that, so nobody know. I never knew that about the Mayans. I never knew that all they did was look at um, other people and want to be just like them. So I think we can say the Mayans were the first personal trainers and the first cosmetic surgeons um, because, uh, you know, it was still cosmetic surgery. And I've seen casts of their faces and drawings of them. And, you know, none of it's really a good look to us. But, um, you know, who are we to judge? Um, you know, but I'm fascinated by the fact that this all hurt so much, but they still did it. Um, and I, I love, so anyway, I, that was a real eye-opener, um, no pun intended. Uh, the, the, the ruler, one of the most famous Mayan rulers, the guy whose tomb we saw, the guy who had the jade mask uh, to, um, in death to cover his face, his name was Pakal, and he was from a place called Palanque, which was a Mayan city. And uh, he lived about 600 A.D., but when I learned more about him, I thought, man, this guy was like the original Mayor Daly of Chicago. And I mean old Mayor Daly, Richard I, because Pakal lived, was a ruler from the age of 12 to the age of 80. Plus, he loved big construction projects. Who does that sound like? Old Mayor Daly. Um, so once again, you know, Pakal would have done very well uh, in Chicago as mayor um, as long as, you know, everybody in his council had the right look, um, you know, and was as cross-eyed as he was. Um, it is uh, a real eye-opener to learn about these civilizations. I have one more civilization I want to talk to you about, but I'm going to end the podcast here because they deserve uh, their own podcast, and that's the Aztecs. And they came after the Mayans, but the Mayans were still around. And I'm just going to tell you one more thing about the Mayans as it relates to the Aztecs. So here's the Mayans, like apparently the most beautiful people in Mexico, who were totally all about fashion and jewelry and looking good. But because they had willingly submitted to so much pain, they were extremely tough because if you can survive, your mother putting your head in, your, in a vice for a few years, if you come out of that alive, you're going to be really tough. And so the Aztecs, who were just a complete to the bone warrior class, and they took over a lot of other groups and subjected a lot of other groups to slavery and torture um, and uh, sacrifice, the Aztecs absolutely stayed away from the Mayans. The Aztecs were afraid of the Mayans because the Mayans were so tough and they didn't have to act tough. Everybody knew if you survived all those cosmetic procedures as an Aztec, 
you were totally kick ass. I'm sorry, as a Mayan, if you survived all those procedures as a Mayan and lived to tell the tale with your cross eyes and gigantic front teeth and flat forehead, um, you could go through anything. So the Aztecs were, were really smart, and I'll tell you more about them, but the best evidence of how smart the Aztecs were is that they stayed away from the Mayans and just let the Mayans carry on. And um, I, so I'm going to end this here because I don't want this to be too long, and it's already too long. And then next week, um, I'll tell you all about the Aztecs because that was an, a separate exhibition hall and, again, a fascinating trip through history. So I hope you like this, and if you like it, tell your friends, um, and if you don't like it, um, I'm sorry. But I hope you did. Thank you for listening, and I will see you next week, and we'll talk about the Aztecs. Okay, bye.